This has become something of an annual tradition here for the CBB Central Pod. Kevin Sweeney, Brad Cavallaro recording the pod in the midst of the college football playoff national championship game. It's not ideal, folks, but given the given the other options and given the amount of games that I am at, sometimes it's hard to fit it in any other night. And uh, so here we are. I've got the, the football game on the big screen. As of now, it looks like Michigan's going to roll, but it's a long game. You never know. Um, but this when is you say game. not not ideal. I mean, I could literally care less. <laughs> it's not. I ideal was for- watching the the curse on Showtime. I'm a big Nathan Fielder guy, but I mean this this show is horrendous. <laughs> As always, remember that Brad's true passion is not Atlantic Ten rosters. It is scripted television. And I'm sure anyone who listens to the pod would love he would he would love to hear from you on Twitter with your best TV show takes. Um, but yeah, it. Uh, I, I was at games, let's see, I was at games Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. I'm at a game tomorrow. I'm theoretically at a game Thursday if snow doesn't stop me. And then I'm off to uh, Duke and North Carolina on Saturday. So making the rounds, if you're going to wait, be- wait, wait a second, you're going to Duke, North Carolina? I'm going to Duke and North Carolina. So Duke plays, or Carolina plays at like noon against Syracuse. In Chapel Hill, uh, Duke plays at like four in Durham against Georgia Tech. Uh, and so I'm flying into Raleigh-Durham on Friday, leaving Sunday, and going to both games on Saturday. Oh. You Very are convenient. Well-traveled. You've been to Providence, Yukon, every Midwestern state. <laughs> I make the rounds. How, how far are you from uh, Omaha? Is that, Very is that far. too far? Like Bar. seven hours. Yeah, you can't oh. drive that one. That's nothing for you mid Midwesterners. <laughs> I, I I will say I spent far too much time in the car um, this past weekend. I drove Wednesday 90 minutes each way to um, Laporte, Indiana. Went to the EYBL Scholastic event. Saw guys like Darius Acuff, Isaiah Harwell, VJ Edgecombe. Um, Nigel James. Yes, tons of really good talent. Um, then the next day, and then I drove home that night. The next day, I drove from Chicago to West Lafayette, Indiana, about two two hours and fifteen minutes. Went to Illinois, Purdue. Drove back, got home at one in the morning. Woke up the next day, did a little shopping in the morning. Then hit the road one more time from Chicago. This time to South Bend, hour forty five. Duke versus uh, Notre Dame. So three straight days in the. Uh, great state of Indiana, um, which was not really great for anyone other than the Chicago uh, bridge toll that you pay when you come in and out of the in and out of the city. I was racking that one up, but um, a lot of ball games, and then Michigan State Northwestern on Sunday, which was a uh, important win for my uh, alma mater. So uh, a lot, lots of games. Brad, do we want to start with the somber news at Providence, or are we get to that later and just talk ball? No, let's start with Brett Hopkins. Oh, my God. So, Providence, let me me just set the stage here quickly. I may have been the cause of this injury because uh, I I was writing conference dark horses, and I wrote Providence as the Big East dark horse, and I was going to publish the next morning, so I pre-wrote it that they were beating Seton Hall. So not only did they lose to Seton Hall with that jinx, and I had to edit it and put it in Villanova, but we lost Bryce Hopkins for the year, which is 
you know, certainly the the death death knell to any hopes of winning the Big East. Well, it's actually my fault because I was texting people. I I wanted to see Corey Floyd get more minutes. We're, we're getting more Corey Floyd minutes. I mean, he was horrible against Creighton, um, but that's that's an aside. Um, yeah, Hopkins. He he was on track for like a disaster game against Seton Hall. Like the game started with like a missed dunk. He was like one for seven from the field, um, and then he makes this nice pass in transition and like trips over his own feet and then like lands wrong. I don't, I don't know what happened. I watched the video fifteen thousand times. Um, his knee just kind of explodes. I didn't see the play live. I was I was watching the um, him. He passed it to Devin Carter for a layup. So I watched the layup. Then he was laying on the ground. Um, the broadcasters were like, "Yeah, it's just a hyperextended knee." Donnie Marshall and wh- whoever else were way off. Well, technically, I believe if you tear an, a ligament in your knee, you also hyperextend it almost always. Oh. So I think it might have just been like, "Oh, well, we know based on like the video that he hyperextended his knee, and you can't tell on the ligament damage until." But yes, it, it, the the way they were talking about it made it sound like they knew that he was fine. And it was like pretty obvious that he was not fine. Um, yeah, so there goes our obviously our starting power forward. It's been our third best player this year. Although Oduro the last game and a half has been a train wreck. But Hopkins last year he played very sporadic defense to no defense at times. Uh this year he was playing really strong defense, consistent, high effort. And his rebounding's off the charts. He can grab and go like no one's business. Might be the best grab and go guy in the country. Um, all that's gone. The offense might get better because he was shooting like 15% from three and kept on firing him up. Um, but the rebounding, the defense, the transition, the interior scoring, it's all a disaster. Um, there, there goes our depth. That was what I was going to say. I mean, the issue for Providence is not that he has played incredibly well this year, but he's been good, and they don't have bodies as well as it was. Especially- okay, great. We get more Garway minutes. Garway gets hurt like one minute into his stint against Creighton. Grabbing his shoulder, he came back in, but played like 10 minutes the whole game. Um. Like I said, Corey Floyd wasn't very good. Devin Carter's incredible. He'll he'll be in the NBA next year. But yeah, we we're running up against it and a bad matchup on the road on Wednesday against St. John's who might kill us on the glass. Um that's the big issue moving forward. More so than the offense or the defense is it's gonna be rebounding. Uh even Creighton kind of knocked us around on the glass. Seton Hall after Hopkins went out as well. So that is the thing to monitor. I still think Providence makes a tournament, um, but got to get moving pretty quick here. Yeah, I mean, I was going to say the expectations change from, oh, could we be a top 25 team? Could we push for, you know, the top three in the Big East? Could we maybe even win the Big East to full-on, like, self-preservation, make the tournament mode, right? And at 2-2, two and two, you're probably realistically where you expected to be. I mean, maybe... Maybe you would say you should have won. You should you should win on your home game, so you should be three and one. Um, but you know, certainly here the next next five games are very manageable. 
uh, despite three of them being on the road at St. John's, home Xavier, at DePaul, at Seton Hall, at Georgetown. Home Georgetown. Excuse me, home Georgetown. Yes, that's the game I will make my my second trip to the dunk this year for. So. So, yeah, I mean, look, like, you got to win three of those, right, minimum? Yes. Uh, kind of want four, right? Well, see, the, the, the Big East is in a really interesting spot where everyone needs to collect their four free wins against DePaul and Georgetown. Like, please nobody slip up. But then you have a clear eight and nine in terms of resume with Butler and Xavier. But those teams aren't that bad. That's that's the issue. Like T rank has Xavier going ten and ten, which would be a disaster for the league. If like Xavier goes six and fourteen, Butler goes like six and fourteen, and nobody loses to DePaul and Georgetown, like the Biggie's gonna get seven teams in. Well, Butler is there's a team like this every year, right? Like the team that clearly looks the part but doesn't actually win any of the games. Butler actually looks like a real team. Yeah. Played UConn really well, played Providence really well. That St. John's game, final score probably a little bit um misleading in terms of how how Butler played. They were in that game most of the way. Um kind of got pushed out in the final 10 minutes. Uh, that was a road game, you know, didn't play particularly well, particularly defensively. They can really score is really the biggest thing. Like, that's not an easy game. And Seton Hall, who I think we all thought was 8-9. I mean, we, this is probably a good place to start, honestly, in terms of the game action. I mean, Seton Hall has had an unbelievable couple of weeks. Since what, the 23rd is when they played Missouri? Like a couple of days before Christmas. You played Missouri the 17th and then UConn the 20th. Basically, what happened was, well, so Elijah Hutchins Everett, who's not great, but he's better than any other guy who was playing back up five minutes. He was out the, the, that most of their skid with a concussion. Just getting him back gave them, you know, a, another guy who could hit people and rebound and, you know, play physical inside. That was a big key. But the two biggest keys where Kadari Richmond stepped up his game recently, number one. And number two, Dawes and Wuzu were giving them nothing until that, until basically the uh, Missouri game. And now they're both playing extremely well. And that kind of gives Seton Hall more of the look closer to what I expected in the preseason. I had them in the NIT. Um, but, but I thought Wuzu was a great addition. I thought Hutchins Everett was a nice addition. And I thought Dawes and Richmond would form one of the Best backcourts in the Big East. Yeah, I mean, look, like they've they've been when their guards play well, they have an opportunity to beat almost anyone because you know they're going to defend. You know they play incredibly hard. Uh, Dre Davis has quietly been pretty darn good here the last yep. several games. Five straight games in double figures. Had 17 against UConn. Had 17 against Providence. Another guy who's bigger, more physical, can rebound. And then Betty Yako has been, you know, it feels like every year there's a couple of centers who weren't super productive in their previous destinations who just kind of like fit in as like toughness glue guys. And Jaden Betty Yako certainly, certainly fits that mold. He was not a hugely productive guy at, at, at Santa Clara, was 
you know, I think five, six, seven points a game, but has been very, very good on glass ranks. Actually, I believe top five in the country in offensive rebound rate. Um, just has been super active on the boards, block shots. And as you mentioned, the depth is just starting to improve. So, you know, I don't know how sustainable it really is, what they are. I mean, they're interestingly, their defense is actually rated at 84th nationally on Ken Palm right now, which just feels absurd. Just like up, like when you watch them, Brad, you feel like they're a much better defense than that. I think a lot of that is with them missing Hutchins Everett. Um, and then David Tubeck just got back. He's someone, I think he's only played two games this year, but he's been in the rotation in both games. Um, so I think that, that that lack of depth, especially up front, kind of contributed to their... They were always a team when Shaheen was at... Um... Peters. Yes, sorry. When Shaheen was at St. Peter's, they were always a team that played probably more bodies than you ever felt like made sense. Where, like, they were playing dudes, and you looked at the on-off numbers, and you were like, well, why why does this guy play at all? But it's just he needs guys to be fresh to play the style of game that they want to play. I am looking now at the Jaden Bediaco on-off numbers. They are 20 points per 100 possessions better with him on the floor. So that certainly does explain some of it. Um, but yeah, I look, bet though, I bet though, if you looked at Hutchins Everett, I bet it, it wouldn't be as stark. Let's see, Hutchins Everett. It's not. It's ten points. Yeah. Right. So they're like completely off of, off of a off a cliff when he's not in there. Yeah. So when 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 he missed the the key portion of non conference games where you make your mark, that's that's where all 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 the Seton Hall damage came from. But. Yes. Um. The good thing for Seton Hall is that none of the losses are particularly that bad. USC on the neutral is not as good as it w- once you would have thought it would be. Rutgers at home is sneaky, probably quad three at this point, and I don't really expect it to change. But they haven't taken like anything catastrophic. They now have two really excellent home wins and a very good road win at Providence. Georgetown and Butler here the next week, both on the road. Even if you split them, you know, you feel probably, probably feel pretty good, right? You got to get the Georgetown one tomorrow. Georgetown. That's a perfect matchup for Seton Hall, too, because they're going to offensive rebound. They're going to play physical. And that's two areas that Georgetown is not equipped to handle. Although they played TCU to, you know, to the buzzer. Um, so I guess we'll have to see. But. but yeah, Seton Hall, the big winners of the week, now in a position to be in the mix for an NCAA tournament berth. Um, certainly a long way to go still. Probably have to get to 11 league wins because of the four non-conference losses. Because I've got them, you know, Ken Palm right now has them 18 and 13, 11 and 9. If they go 10 and 10, I just think it's going to be hard, right? Because you then you'd be a 15-loss team on Selection Sunday. And the best thing you did in the non-conference was beat Mizzou. I'm I'm treating all all the Big East teams need to go twelve and eight. Twelve and eight. That's that's where where my head is at. Because you're because you're giving basically great inflation for the Seton Hall or not Seton Hall. Seton Hall. Right. So it's really eight and eight. Right. With your three quad four games and one quad three game uh, with Georgetown and DePaul. Makes sense. Well, arrest, around finishing just like the bigger picture look at the Big East. I think the the main storyline at the moment other than Seton Hall, is that St. John's has 
really started to figure it out. I felt like they played well against UConn. I think I attributed a lot of that when I was there to not having um, Donovan Klingon. I still think that's a big part of this for this, you know, for, 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 for this UConn team is that without him, they're just not as dynamic. Um, they're not as dominant on the, on the, uh, at the rim. So they're much more reliant on the three. UConn shot five or eight, five for 18 from three in that game, but it did feel like they were turning a corner. And since then, you know, they beat a good Hofstra team. They blew out Butler and then they won on the road at Villanova. Huge breakthrough performance. Brady Dunlap comes in really out of nowhere this past week and has two, um, two double figure scoring games, three for five for three in each game. Seems like he has boxed. Sean Conway out of the mix. And I know they've also had, um, you know, obviously so many injuries with their wings, Glenn Taylor in and out of the lineup, um, RJ Luis in and out of the lineup. Stern seems like they've turned out a Dunlap, this like bigger wing three point shooter. He's very skinny. Not sure what he's ever going to do defensively, but uh, played 31 minutes against Villanova and was a big reason why they won the game. Yeah, so, I mean, it, it is crazy. St. Saint, Saint John's is up in like the top 20 of like, uh, a T rank. I haven't checked Kempom, but um, they're very high in T rank. You know, whenever teams miss a guy like with the Elijah Hutchins Everett, or you know, every year there's a team that wants to put an asterisk on their losses because they're missing, you know, this fourth best player, fifth best player. You know, I, I have long been a proponent of if he's not like one of your top two or three players, like you can't. You can't complain about missing him. Like at some point, injuries happen. You just have to move on. Uh, but it seems like Art R.J. Louise was a much better player and bigger impact guy than at least I anticipated. Um, it seems like him coming back has given them a serious boost. And he's still kind of dealing with shin splints. He's in and out of the lineup. But like you mentioned, Glenn Taylor pretty much got benched one game. The next game he's back starting. They've started to lean. Now they started Dunlap. So they've built kind of a nice um, group of you know, nine or ten guys who can give you minutes. Um, I will say I'm not – sorry to cut you off. I, I will say I'm not super surprised that R.J. Lewis has made this type of impact because I, I thought he was one of the most underrated players in the portal in terms of – I mean, this is a guy six foot six, six foot seven – legitimate like point guard skills like I think was listed as a point guard in high school uh, not necessarily you know a guy that you really want creating your offense but was hyper productive last year for UMass I mean had a game with 31 points had a game with you know he, he, you know like 20, 21 and nine against Dayton on, you know in, in, in late in the season right one of the best teams in the league last year right like he he had some big time big time performances on a bad UMass team, and you got him for three years. Uh, to me, I thought it was you know, one of the better players in the portal. And I think defensively for them, he's made a big difference because he's long, he's in passing lanes, he's aggressive. I thought he brought some edge in that UConn game. I haven't watched them really since, um, but yeah, they've had all sorts of bodies in and out of the lineup. So you know, Ledlam was out uh, against Villanova, and I believe also against Butler, um, and and so Dunlap certainly has been a beneficiary certainly um you know certainly it seems like Luis has started to get some of those minutes as well so um the guys who are out of the mix for St. John's for the most part seem to be Simeon Wilcher and Zuby Ejiofor 
Well, despite Rick Pitino's claims in the preseason, Zuby just like plays the five or six minutes when Soriano sits. Yes, there, I thought they would find a way to get him on the floor more. I didn't think that 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 they would ever play together, but I guess I always saw this as a bridge year for Zuby, um, given this is Soriano's last year. But you know, when Louise is out, they had to play Ledlam the whole game, or like they had to go deep in their bench. Um, Louise obviously can play that four spot. A lean shooter, you know, they're 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 really coming along. Dennis Jenkins might be the most underrated player in the Big East at this point. Um, He's he awesome. C- he carried them through the uh, early non-con when they were struggling. I mean, he was like the only guy who could hit shots and create off the dribble. Um, and now that you have other guys going, St. John's is looking pretty scary. Obviously, Providence had St. John's on Wednesday. Um, in terms of other biggie stuff, are we are we selling any Marquette stock? I don't really think so. I mean, I guess it depends on where we were on Marquette, right? Like to me, Marquette is like a around the tenth best team in the country. Ten to 15. yeah, I, I did did one out today, and they're it's hard to get them lower than like twelfth at the very worst. Yes. Well, it was funny because I had this kind of similar epiphany with Duke. Um, yeah. I saw Duke against Notre Dame. We can get into them a little bit later. I was like, man, they look so bad. They don't really have, you know, kind of sleepy. Don't really have an identity. Still trying to figure out the flip at the five thing versus playing, you know, true, true, two traditional bigs. Like it was just not a good showing. And I was like, man, like, you know, Borzello and Fanta and those guys sent me their top twenty fives. And like, you know, what do you think? And Duke was like fourteenth. And I was like, fourteenth. Like that feels really high. Like that that I don't I, I'm not sure Duke is playing nearly like the 14th best team in the country. And I looked at the teams below them, and there was a couple where you were like, okay, like I could see I could see myself putting Wisconsin above them. I could see myself putting um, you know Auburn above them. I could see myself putting uh, you know I, I could see myself putting Colorado State even in front of them. But after like 16, you're like, well, I can't go any lower. Like there there is not. The, the the quality of teams in the back half of the top 25 right now is pretty low. Uh, a lot of teams figuring things out. Um, not surprising. I think you get to this similar point a lot of times, through, you know, at, at this point in the year, right? I mean, a lot of teams who haven't proven a ton, a lot of teams still figuring things out, a lot of teams that you, you we're still trying to sort through who's actually good and what's a mirage. Um, but, yeah, like, I, I, I don't think you can drop Marquette much because – I mean, what they lost a road game at Seton Hall is like a three-point favorite. I mean, well, so, so kind of go into that top twenty-five discussion. There's two different directions you can go with, right? There's you can go with the teams that are gonna get their record straightened out pretty soon, like Creighton, Alabama. I still think Michigan State uh, is record will, you know, they'll. They'll they'll come in fourth or fifth in in, in the Big Ten, I think. Um, you know, a lot of those high analytic teams, even before I checked Ken Palm before wanted to make this point, um, a lot of those teams feel like their records are going to clean up as their schedule evens out. And then you have a bunch of teams that either played weak schedules or Goldilocks schedules, um, like the whole Mountain West. You're like Utah State. How'd they get to fourteen and one? It's like, oh, they they beat San Francisco on a neutral. 
I guess. But they just played like a bunch of solid teams, you know, maybe not 50-50 games, maybe 70-30 games, and, won, and pre- pretty much won them all. Um, and given the disparity in the Mountain West between the top half and the bottom half, those top half teams are going to have some pretty pristine records themselves. So you can either go with the analytics and teams with bad records now that will straighten it out going forward, or teams that are lower in the analytics but are going to uh, – or have these really sparkling records. The only team you could not go with was Texas. Unless I, – I mean, if like you were really buying like the – Dylan Dusu is back, and like here we go. But the Which fact they that they lost to Texas, Tech. Home to Texas Tech, yeah, yeah. I will say just quickly back to Marquette to, to close the book on them in the Big East. I will say I was looking at their metrics, and I was very surprised to see them as a top fifteen defense. Like if you had told me in the preseason that Marquette was a top fifteen defense, I'd say like they're the favorite to win the national championship. Well, if like you look at their lineup, right? Stevie Mitchell can't shoot, or not a shooter. Oso can't shoot. Sean Jones is starting to shoot a little bit better, but he's still like in the 20s. Chase Ross hasn't shooted it, shot it as, as we thought. Kolick can make shots, but he's not like a shooter, right? Like there's there's two shooters on this team, Cam Jones and David Joplin. And I think. Somehow the 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 OMAX loss ha- has done more damage offensively than a defense. Well, that, that's what I was going to say. Which is in yeah. the preseason, I think our, our our consensus was, you know, this team is in trouble defensively without OMAX, but they're going to be incredible offensively, and they've been very good offensively. But they have taken actually a bigger step back there and a pretty substantial step forward on the defensive end, despite not having OMAX. And I, I don't quite understand why. Other than maybe that was just like their focus all off season was like how do we get better defensively, um, so yeah I, I don't know I, I have no major concerns about Marquette like I will say I didn't think Marquette played particularly well when I saw them against Creighton I thought you know they just kind of grinded their way through that ball game Shireman was making shots no one else really was but they defended um, they made you know Ashworth uncomfortable he had a pretty bad day that day and Kolek made some big big plays. Like they they just found a way, and Sean Jones made three threes in that ball game. Like it wasn't pretty necessarily, um, but it was you know what they needed. And so I think for Marquette now, it's just like all right, when when at at what point does this become like at what point do we just start to look around at Marquette and be like they need to find their stride, start playing at a high high level again. This week, two home games, probably should win them. Next week, two road games at St. John's, at DePaul. Right? Like, the schedule is – they start to settle in a little bit schedule-wise. They have UConn – both their UConn games later in the year. They've already taken on uh, two of the tougher road trips. They've already played Creighton at home. Like, this is the time, the next month, for them to really climb. And you know, they, they had a terrific non-con – where they're the only team to beat Kansas, uh, despite TCU, uh, you know, making a serious push on 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 Saturday. They beat Illinois on the road, who with Terrence Shannon they're a top ten team. Without them they're still a top twenty five team. They smashed Texas. Yeah, I mean, I I saw a lot of people complaining that Marquette was so high, and I was like, guys, like 
Like, let's not miss the forest for their trees. Like, they, they haven't lost to a non-NCAA tournament team. All their losses are away from home. They beat Kansas. They beat Illinois on the road. They beat, blew out Texas. They beat, beat, beat a top 15 Ken Palm Creighton team, right? Like, that's a very good team. Let's not panic. Now, we probably should close the book on the Big East, right? Um, is there a particular direction you'd like to go next? We could talk, you just mentioned Illinois, we could talk Purdue, Illinois, and the rest of the Big Ten as a whole. Sure. Um, the Ty Rogers point guard experiment is working about as well as we thought. Well, Ty has had a good year, to be clear. Illinois, really? Purdue is a very bad team to try to do that against. Let's just put it that way. So what – why is Purdue worse than any other team? Is it just because Purdue chose to guard him with a center? Well, I think it's primarily the fact that Edie staying around the rim is much more impactful – than other teams keeping their center around the rim. But, I mean, even the teams that aren't that good should do that. Like Felix Akpara for Ohio State, Terrace Reed, Michigan, the Indiana Bigs, Crowell. Like, shouldn't everyone just do that now? I mean, it's not like it's new. I mean, Purdue did it last year when Ty was on the floor. Um, One of the things that Illinois said post-game was – in order, they felt like they could cause problems for Purdue in that look by pushing the basketball, playing in transition. But they couldn't get stops. And it's hard to run off makes, obviously. Right? So, Illinois, Illinois just got blitzed defensively. They couldn't get stops. And so then they're playing half-court basketball four on five. That's a really bad recipe. So I think they feel as though, you know, Illinois is one of the best defensive teams in the country. And they're 18th right now, but they were like top, they, they were number one in two-point defense, like before the Purdue game. They're, they're a tremendous, tremendous defensive team. And I think they feel as though they'll be able to keep tie on the floor in other games. And even if they can't, I mean, it hurts their depth. But like Harmon's not a bad player. Damask has been really good. Gary A has really continued to emerge. He had 18 and, 18 and 10 in that game. And Hawkins is playing much better. Really, I mean, look, they missed Terrence. We'll see if they can get Terrence back. I mean, look, we don't need to do the, like, legal update here. But there is at least now a there, – there is at least now a police report um, or, or a, an affidavit from the police officer – who um, determ- who determines probable cause in the case. You can go online and read that. I tweeted that out uh, Monday night if you're looking for it. But there is a there 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 is no it is no longer like a 99% that Terrence doesn't play again in Illinois, in my opinion. Not gonna go any further than that. Just gonna say it is no longer like impossible that he returns. But even if he doesn't, I think they're really good still. I mean they they played Purdue Look, I mean, Purdue kind of blitzed them, but the way that they played in the second half when the game when they started playing up and down a little bit, Illinois was really, really good, really impressive. 
I just shut it off when it got to 20, which was like maybe like 13 minutes left, I think, in the game. Yeah. And, they, and that was when Damask really got going. Blood back, but. But P- Purdue is just so good. I mean, look, I understand should, that. Should I we be talking about Braden Smith as an NBA prospect? I asked Wu that. They said too small. So I guess after four years, he'll go and he'll you know, become a 10-year backup point guard like a... Monty Morris. Yeah, one of those guys. But he's really good. I mean, he, he scores off the bounce, shoots it so well. I, right, you know, I, I think Purdue is set up really well for years to come. Uh, even with them ignoring transfers, but um, like Kaufman Wren started that game hot. He had 23. Yeah. Yeah, no, like next year when people are like, oh, finally the Purdue reign of terror is over, and then they start like Braden Smith, Fletcher Lawyer, Miles Colvin, Cannon Catchings, and Trey Kaufman Wren, or like Cam Heidi instead of Cannon Catchings. Watch out. Um, so you were you were at the Northwestern game yesterday. Yeah. Was that a surprise to you? Yes. But also not in the same way. Let me, let me put it this way. Every time I walk into Welsh Shrine and I say, ah, Northwestern's probably going to get killed tonight, they win the game. It is like clockwork. I, I had Northwestern at sixth coming into the game. I think I still have my number six. I think I still am buying Michigan State more on the year. Um, but, I mean, that was an impressive beatdown. Yeah, so so my thoughts here. Number one, Michigan State was all the momentum. Everyone was super excited, and then they played really poorly. Um, I think part of that was the matchup. Northwestern has played Michigan State really well lately. I think a lot of that is with the way that Michigan State's bigs are, like there's such, there's such not, not a factor offensively. Northwestern's defense is, is perfect for playing against that because they blitz all the ball screens. They're putting two on the ball. Like that's muddying the picture for the Michigan state guards. And there's nothing really they can do because it's not like they can throw it to Maz. He's at the foul line and he can make a play. Right. It's not like he can roll all the way to the rim and catch and finish. Like someone will just rotate and they'll do this deal and turn, turn you over. Um, like if you play on a ton of ball screens, Northwestern defensively is going to be, um, it, it, it's going to cause you a lot of problems unless your bigs are big time weapons. Uh, if you don't play in ball screens, like Illinois, for instance, does not play in a lot of ball screens. They're, they're playing a lot of five out motion. Like per, Illinois is going to cut you up. Like Northwestern's defense got destroyed in that game because they have bad, like one on one ball defenders, right? Brooks Barnheiser is not a good defender one on one against a four, right? Ryan Langborg is not a good one-on-one defender against the two. Boo Boo is not a particularly good one-on-one defender against a one, right? Like, Mark, even and then Matt Nicholson's played really poorly at the five. Like, like they're bad. They're they're a group of bad individual defenders that can be a good collection defensively with aggressiveness and cohesion. But you can't do that when you're not forcing a team to, you know, when when you're not forcing a team to rotate and you're just playing ISO ball, like you're screwed. And I still think Michigan State's going to be fine. Like, their guards are playing better. Malik Hall had, like, a crazy 
over a game, but he was awful. Like he was he was actively detrimental. He he seemingly had turned the corner uh, the past couple of games, but um, I I still think Michigan State's in a decent spot. I think they'll come in as fourth. Ohio State, I I expected them to beat Indiana. You know, maybe I shouldn't, given I watched most of the West Virginia game where they kind of struggled um, the week prior. But Indiana, I mean, this is the perfect year if you can win these kind of 50-50 games. You know, there there is a lot of upward mobility for the taking uh, with how subpar and kind of big this middle is. Yeah, I was I was actually just gonna say. I mean, in the context of Michigan State, so Michigan State's already one and three in the league. They play Illinois Thursday night on the road. If they lose that game, they could be one and four, right? That's setting up to have a lot of losses. Like when we talk about quantity of losses, I mean that's what it starts to get into play. And I don't think it'll be for a tournament bid. Like I think Michigan State will make the tournament, as I said. But you know, at the same time, you know, I really think like I. I I, I like they're gonna have ten losses this year, right? I mean they already have six, yeah. six on January seventh. So, um, but the rest of the way, so they have sixteen games left. Five of them are against top fifty teams on Ken Palm right now. That's an astonishingly low number for the Big Ten. Like Michigan, like like Michigan State. If Michigan State is really good, they should roll Rutgers at home. They should roll Minnesota at home. They should roll Maryland on the road. They should roll like 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 after this Illinois game, they have one game against a team better than Michigan on Ken Palm right now. And that's Wisconsin on the road. They'll lose that game, right? But they should win six of seven, no problem. If they don't, that's when we start to have problems. Cuts both ways. Op, you know, playing worse teams that you can beat also means you don't get as much equity for beating them, and if you lose, you're in even more trouble. Um, I kind of want to stay in the Big Ten because I want to talk Michigan. But Juwan Howard doing s- symbolic coaching measures while his Wolverines slipped to six and nine. That was one of the wildest things I've like ever seen. Like when I saw the tweet, I thought it was a joke. And and his reasoning was because he, it, it would mean a lot to him. The same reason why like the Seth Davis of the world rank like a team that's like one twentieth in Kempom with a pretty record. You were you were waiting so you were waiting so long to to get a little dig in at the the mid major voters on on the AP poll. That, that that just drives me so crazy. At least this year, some of these teams look like they have teeth. So like. You can just vote for Indiana State or Grand Canyon or Princeton. And just say, yeah. Right. That's like reasonable. You don't have to reach down to vote for like, you know, high point or something. College of Charleston last year was pretty tough. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, this is just seeming more and more like this is it for Michigan. Um, uh, this, this is it for Juwan Howard at Michigan. Kind of great. I mean, we say it every week, but the way they started this season, and now there's all the rumors that Doug Doug McDaniel might be ineligible. Yeah, I guess we'll see on Thursday against Maryland. Yeah, 
Um, any, any ideas for a new Michigan coach, the next guy up? Um, I think Dusty May would make some sense. They got to win some games first. True. I also will say this. John Beeline is a mentor to Nico Medved. Nico's a great coach. It'd be, I, I, I think Nico to Louisville feels too big of a stretch. It does not feel like too big of a stretch, Nico to Michigan. If they have, you know, if they if they win some games, like you know, if they win a game in the tournament, they don't have to win two. They have to win a game in the tournament. But they're going to spend most of the year in the top twenty-five as long as they keep winning like half of these games because of the way the Mountain West is. Any uh, any other names from Michigan, or, or are we leaning on uh... Sean Miller? What if uh, Xavier went say? Six and fourteen in the Big East would that be a disqualifier or would it be eh, injuries? I, I think he has. I think he has enough of a resume. Yeah, you know, who Ward Manuel is buddy buddy with? Want to know who would also be a good hire at Michigan? Who? Chris Mack. Is is he motivated though? Chris Mack, if if Chris Mack takes a job, Chris Mack will be motivated for that job. Think so? Yes. I don't think you have to worry about Chris Mack like not showing up to work. Because that really wasn't. I mean, that's the way it ended was really bad at Louisville. But like, Chris Mack, uh, I Chris Mack is happy enough on a beach that if he's taking a job, it means he wants to do the job. I guess this way I would put it. But to, to what I was saying earlier, Ward Manuel, big big friends with uh, Ed Cooley from their Boston <laughs> College days. I imagine that his contract has to be, like, impossible to get out of. Unless they gave him a sweetheart, you know, all all the power with the uh, coach deal. If Georgetown lost Ed Cooley after one year, it would be so funny. It would be one of the funniest things that has ever happened. Especially after, like, a 1-19 season. I watched I watched too much of Georgetown DePaul. <laughs> Although you might not expect this, given I'm a Providence fan, but I, I definitely watched more end of Ewing era Georgetown than I've had beginning of Cooley era Georgetown. It's nowhere near the same siren song. Not. I was locked in last year. They were totally so fun watched. to watch. I mean, if it you know the uh, Big East did Cooley well, like imagine if this home DePaul game was at the end of the year. And, and we and we could have really, you know, built up a big Big East losing streak. That would have been perfect, but <laughs> alas. And then DePaul doesn't have the same siren song because they're always so bad. And everyone knows like where it's going. You know, they don't even play like like Georgetown this year was more interesting than Georgetown last year was more interesting than Georgetown two years ago. Um. Because they were talented. Like, it was fun to watch how they were going to lose the game. Yeah. <laughs> Primo Spears, who now brought his losing to Florida State. Um, still on Josh Shirts for DePaul? Nah, I mean, maybe. I, I think Will Wade would be the most fun. I love Will Wade. <laughs> it would be so entertaining. But... 
just real quickly on uh, Jake Coles' book, we were talking Michigan. There's still wins out there in that league. I mean, again, I, I, I don't see why it's going to turn around because it just feels like the vibes are so bad. But, like, there's wins out there. They just lost to Minnesota and Penn State. So, I mean, look, I, I had a I had a Minnesota fan. It was the same Minnesota fan who you expertly trolled to me um, about being, like, way too excited about Ben Johnson. Um, yeah, so, was, so for background on that. Yes. Um, Providence was going head to head with Minnesota for Jaden Pierre, so I went to the Minnesota message board to like get their pulse. So this was, so so Jaden Pierre is a 2022 recruit. This would have been fall of 21 then, and the whole message board was just in love with Ben Johnson. They were this guy's incredible. He's doing an amazing job. He's getting kids from Minnesota. Like, oh, the experts don't know what they have coming. Ben, ben Johnson's on. Yeah, the uh, drains on the tracks. What's funny is those Minnesota kids have started to like really help. Although it seems like the big difference maker has been Elijah Hawkins from Howard, who everyone universally caught, thought was a bad bad get. I don't think he made my list, but the, the people thing, who, who watched him play probably said that. The thing that is interesting though is they're now three and one right there's now at least a world where ben johnson does not lose his job but their wins are nebraska at home michigan on the road and maryland at home like not great teams they still don't have a top 50 win they don't have you know they played the worst non-conference schedule not just in the country this year but since pre-covid <laughs> So I tweeted this. I tweeted, you know, Michigan or Minnesota, excuse me, hasn't been the top of the team, played the lowest non-conference schedule, lost at home to a bad Missouri team and got torched by San Francisco. They're playing better, but the Gophers still have a long way to go. And I got a response go for, go from Gopher Crew, which I think is one of your guys. I get where you're coming from, but regardless of SOS, this team is so much better. I don't think it's far-fetched to say they're a bubble team right now. And I said, they haven't accomplished anything to get on the bubble yet. There's a path to that now, but it's still a very long way away. And the guy goes, they have a mid-major-esque resume right now, one bad loss, no close calls against any of the low mid-majors, and three solid wins. They are definitely on or near it. And I said they are in zero brackets on bracket matrix. Their resume is far worse than the teams around the cut line, Northwestern, Nebraska, St. John's, and their metrics are terrible. They may be a bubble team eventually. Right now, they are not close. And Gopher Crew replied, agree to disagree. Their metrics are in the same range as Ole Miss, Indiana, and Arkansas. And I said, Indiana and Arkansas aren't anywhere close to the bubble. And Ole Miss had a big time win over Memphis and was undefeated until yesterday. And the guy goes, I think we have different definitions of how big the bubble is. And I was like, okay, <laughs> sure. Well, Minnesota is going to win 10 more games, and maybe you'll be maybe. on the bubble. Maybe. I mean, that's the crazy thing. Like, they're going to need, like, It's 12. not even a sure thing. Yeah. They're going to need, like, at minimum 12 and 8 with the, with, the lead, with the schedule. But, again, the wins are out there. They play at Assembly Hall on Friday, but Indiana's not been very good. They play Iowa at home. Then two tough games at Michigan State, home Wisconsin. Then at Penn State, home Northwestern. Right? Like, if you actually believe this team is good, they should win this game. Win those games. I do not believe they're good yet. Maybe I will be wrong. Right now, I do not believe that they're very good. But that's a... But that's this league right now, right? Indiana's not very good, but Indiana now is three and one in the league, right? I mean, yeah, right now I'm sitting at five, five bids, 
you're saying Wisconsin, Purdue, Wisconsin, Illinois, Michigan State, Ohio State. Yep. Oh, Ohio State just making it. Northwestern just missing it. Northwestern and Nebraska seem like the best bubble teams so far. And, and I can't quit Iowa. I still think of Iowa as a good team, despite me not having them in the tournament in the preseason. I saw them get blasted by Iowa State, and I saw them blast Seton Hall. Um, I've seen them a couple other times too, but um, for whatever reason in my head, I still think of Iowa as like a good team. But. They're still 53 on Ken Palm because of those blowout non-conference wins, and then you know the Seton Hall win is obviously big. The one team that's really a direct right now is Rutgers. They they escaped against Stonehill. Yeah. Uh, and, and then Maryland can't figure it out still. I think Willard's probably got to be on the list of coaches that hate their team. No, nothing like Mick Cronin. <laughs> I, I enjoyed Mick's quote the other day where he said that his team didn't have the aptitude <laughs> to take coaching. I was like, I, I, I was waiting around. Was that Saturday when they lost yes. to Cal? I, I was waiting up for the the beat. Beat writer to tweet some Mick quotes and Mick didn't even show up. <laughs> but I mean, listen, hand up. Okay, I'm 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 taking responsibility for this. I thought they'd be good. I'd never seen a Day Mara play. <laughs> I saw Barricade play once and he was awesome. I'd never seen Fibillet play. I saw Vidae play once and he was awesome. That's on me for thinking that. They'd all be good in this be a top twenty-five team. I will say it was amusing. Like Mick, I, I, so I'm, I'm working on a story right now about UCLA struggles. Um, so you can pay attention to that as SI. It's probably gonna be out by the time this podcast goes up. Um, it is funny to kind of read the quotes from from Mick. Basically, of like he spent all summer bashing to anyone who would listen like the American developmental structure, right? Like, you know, these kids, you know, and, and not even doing the same, like, oh, everything's entitled and, you know, all these kids care about this, their rankings and their mixtapes. Like he went beyond that. He said, you know, and I'm reading this direct quote. This will be, be in the article. Um, Here's the difference. Everywhere but in America, sports are not related to school. Everything is club and there are junior teams that are tied under these professional teams. They don't have the confines of academics that limit high school coaches in every state. Anytime a European kid has played basketball, he has been coached. There's no pickup basketball. They're more mature in their understanding of moving without the ball, passing the ball concepts. Cronin also indicated that he could coach international players harder because, quote, coaches get fired quickly over there. They think I'm a nice guy compared to their European coaches, Cronin said in the same interview. Um, like, it, it, it has become, it, it is, you know, so essentially, right, like the, the initial thinking from Mick was, I'm going to recruit these international kids and they're going to be ready to play because they've been coached and they've been developed and they understand basketball. And I'm not going to be stuck with like Amari Baylor, who's like an idiot. Or Peyton Watson, who's like an idiot, right? Like that's that's the thinking. But then those kids took a while to get over here. They took a while to get cleared. You know, they have the language barrier. You know, all sorts of stuff, right? I mean, he 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 has now said that a day Mara uh, quote would he 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 gave up five points against Oregon State faster than he could go to the bathroom. Um, 
And then he said that Elaine Fible, um was his problem was that he played for an academy team in France. So his coach wasn't going to get fired. Uh, and so his fundamentals were, quote, really, really untrained. Right. And then Viday has been injured and in and out. So Burke has been really the only guy, and he's, you know, averaged like seven points a game. So all these guys have busted, basically. But they don't seem to know how to learn from him. Like, they're not adjusting the way. So, so, so basically, his whole plan was, I don't have the NIL. I don't have the, the resources. I don't want to recruit transfers. I don't want to recruit high school kids. I'm going to recruit all these international kids who will, will be happy to play for me. And it turns out that they're not actually happy to play for him. And they're not but that good. I, th- I think we have to push back on the NIL a little bit because – these these kids didn't come over for free, right? Like in past years, Ade Mara plays this year in the ACB or whatever, averages four points a game. Oh, but he's playing at the highest level. Goes like fifteenth in the draft, right? Like the fact that Mick got them over here means that he must have paid them at least as much if not more than they would have made on the pro level, right? The only X factor there is that Ivo Simovic is like a, a wizard. Who's not there anymore. Right, but he did all the work. Yeah. And presumably got it over the finish line while still working for the Raptors. But look, I mean, a Dembona thing- didn't come back for free. You know, Probably. like... It's not no one. I, I think Mick's exaggerating here. I'm sure he is. I think he made some bad business, a little misallocation of resources, maybe. I also think I don't know that they really expected a Dem to come back, and that has made things really interesting from a fit standpoint with a day, because they haven't been able to play him to let them like, let them learn through mistakes. Because he's been blocked by a dem. But I think I was watching a UCLA game fairly recently, and they went Kenny Nwuba over a day. I mean, because a, a day gave up five points faster than yeah. pets. That's the thing. Like these, there's so many players that need to be playing through their mistakes, like Garway and Providence. But there's just so much security and you know. Playing your starters 36 minutes instead of 32, you know? Yep. No, it's, it's, it's an interesting situation. And again, this all is happening in the backdrop of Louisville, where Mick is like a very interesting candidate, but theoretically can't go financially because of his buyout. And UCLA is not going to buy him out this year, but also, like, could they just let him walk? I don't personally think it would be smart to let him walk. Or like a reduced buyout of some sort. Right, like, why wouldn't they, yeah, they could just agree, like, all right, like, you pay us $5 million, you can go. But I don't, like, who, who do they hire then, right? Like, if the problem is... Right, Nick is one of the best coaches in the country. Right. But Mick is never going to be a coach who's patient with freshmen. That's just the reality of this. And, and quite honestly, right, like, if, if Mick, if Mick stays, if, if they... If Mick stays and all, and most of these young players stay, they will probably end up being really freaking good. Yeah. Like, I would be surprised if Mick Cronin has, like, if they have, like, junior Jan Vidae, if he's not, like, one of the best players in the Pac-12. 
If they have sophomore Burkay, Big Ten, the best player in the Big. Yeah, sorry, Big Ten. Um, <laughs> like Bear, like Bear next year would be a monster if he comes back. Yeah, Murad will eventually too. It's just seven, three, eight, eighteen year olds are terrible. Unless you're Donald right. Klingon. Yeah. So look, I don't, I don't know. I, I think. Isn't it kind of weird that Nick is so hung up on NIL when his Cincinnati teams, like, none of those guys were like, I mean, other than like Lance Stevenson and, you know, a couple guys here and there, but he was into like the Juco, the junkyard dog type of guys. I don't disagree with that. I just think that at this point, I mean, I also think there's different requirements of who you recruit at UCLA, right? Like, I don't think Mick ever really wanted to coach Amari Bailey. That's fair. Um, kind of elsewhere in the Pac-12, I don't know if you have any, anything else on UCLA. No, I'm good. I was buying Utah and Colorado, and they both got smashed on their Arizona trip. So that's something to monitor. Those two teams are not as... Uh, Sure, sure fire, you know, top 25 t- teams that I thought at this time last week. Yeah, Arizona State quietly 4-0 in the league. Bobby Hurley didn't uh, out- outlasted Ray Anderson, his longtime nemesis AD. Gets Adam Hurley. Miller from the clouds. Yeah, I mean, Jose Perez from the clouds. Like, I mean, yeah. <laughs> all, this, all of a sudden, Bobby's got a team that, like, might make the NIT. And we're going to be talking Bobby Hurley to Central Florida. And then for Colorado, they played, they beat Washington without Cody Williams and interested to Silva. The Silva came back and they still get smashed here. Um, I don't know what to make of them. They're like, I don't mind some of these role guys like Hammond and O'Brien specifically. Um, maybe they're top end talent. Isn't as strong as I thought. Although Lampkin played really well. I think it was against Washington, I saw. I don't know. I I guess this is what I thought. I mean, I had Colorado, I think, 35 in the preseason. Last week, I think I put put them in my top 25, but now I think we're back back to where we started. Yeah, I mean, look, like, I still think overall the body of work is pretty solid for Colorado. I think defensively is the thing I worry about with them. Especially, like, they've defended the arc really poorly. Like, their perimeter defense is not good. And that makes some sense, right? Like, KJ Simpson's a small guard. Um, you know, these other guys, like, O'Brien's not that athletic. Like, he's big, but he's not like small. an athlete. Right. They just don't have a ton of, they just don't have a ton of, like, good guards outside of KJ. I think Cody Williams had some good games before he was hurt, so yes. hopefully he can come back. But. Seems like he will be back relatively soon. But, but. unless you're buying Oregon and Arizona State, which I guess time will tell on both of those. I think I've talked myself into Oregon being a tournament team. They, they just get hurt so often. It, it, it's so crazy. Who's, um, yeah, who's their strength coach? What is happening? Or or maybe it's the players who are recruiting. I, I mean, most of the injuries are 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 Dante, right? Like that's that's totally Dante. Um, 
Yeah, in the last year of the Pac-12, they're kind of going out with a whimper. I guess we'll see how Arizona stacks up nationally. Like, I'm, like I'm still feeling Arizona as like a one seed, um, even though the Stanford loss and now the Florida Atlantic loss are not looking so hot. I know that you're still a passionate Owls defender, but well, people are acting like Florida Atlantic just lost to South Carolina State. Charlotte's a Charlotte's a quad two game. But Charlotte plus Bryant plus Gulf Coast. They're not playing well right now. Right. It's not it's 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 not gonna be the end of the losses. But that Charlotte loss was over overhyped. How much of SMU Memphis did you watch? I guess uh, as we shift to the American. I did not watch much, unfortunately. I just watched a couple minutes. I I saw the Quinnley buzzer beater too. I like but, SMU. Um, um, SMU was higher than Memphis in that T rank coming into that game. In the net, they're higher in the net. And they're a team that's handing out good wins, right? They get Cincinnati. No, it was um, Dayton beat SMU. Wisconsin beat SMU. Yep. Someone else may have too, but yeah, SMU may be the team that just gave everyone their wins. I do. I, I actually think the team that we're going to remember most this year as the team that handed out quality wins is BYU. Well, up upcoming in a Big Twelve play, you mean? Yes. No, they will. They will be handing out. Well, they also they also have like single handedly hand. Like, people were trying to rank Cincinnati entirely because they beat BYU. They were trying to rank Utah mostly because they beat BYU. Like, it's all a house of cards. Right. I, I watched the entirety of Cincinnati-BYU on Saturday. Um, I watched the, per- the second half. Pretty Saturday ugly game. Cincinnati. C- Good point, yeah. C- Cincinnati mucked it up. Uh, your, your your buddy, uh, Mr. Khalifa, is, like, so out of shape. He's, he's he was terrible. Hand on his knees, gassed. <laughs> he runs three three point line to three point line. He he did have some nice passes. Rob um, Robbie Avila is like a is is an incredible athlete compared to this guy. Yeah. <laughs> um, he in BYU, I mean, they just looked so ordinary. They were just jacking threes. They 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 couldn't get any good looks. Now Cincinnati is very big and very physical, and now they have. Reynolds and Bandago, who they didn't have earlier in the year. Um, Bandago is a monster. But you know the Big Twelve, there's there's eleven teams still in the mix. Now, just probability wise, some teams are going to get beat up and you know chewed up and spit out at the bottom. I think if you're taking maybe two teams and you'll say okay, the the Big Twelve ends up with nine. The two teams most likely to get chewed up at this point, would you say Texas and BYU? Yes, I would. Could maybe throw Kansas State in there as well. But um, K-State blew the doors off of UCF. My God. Everyone else is just so much more physical than BYU. Right. Like the guys playing the four, they had Noah Waterman and then like Richie Saunders. You know, they're jump shooters. Where Cincinnati is rolling out lineups with Lockett and Bandago, <laughs> like <laughs> crazy. Yeah, it's a completely different basketball game. And look, good, good, good win for Cincy. I think that will help them. But I just, I don't think BYU finishes over 500 in Big 12 play. 
And I don't think Cincinnati does either. They're projecting Cincinnati at 10 and 8. I guess that's that's really all going to depend on the top and the bottom. It also like, could just be like who do you end up playing? Right, because it's not it's not a balanced schedule, right? Um, right. So but, Cincinnati gets they have UCF twice, West West Virginia twice. That's a good that's a good yeah. double to have. Yeah, because if Central Florida, Kansas State, and West Virginia start stealing, sorry, Oklahoma State, Central Florida, and West Virginia start stealing wins, that'll obviously take away from their tournament bids. And if Houston, probably just used to this point, is like un, un, untouchable at the top, right? Because Kansas does not look untouchable by any means. Um, and then third is either Oklahoma or Baylor, right? So um, can we can we talk Kansas real quick? There has never been like an elite team that passes the eye test less than Kansas. Even less so than last year's Kansas. No, they're, they're they feel substantially worse. And and even the national championship Kansas didn't feel overwhelming at all. No. But they were better. Like did absolutely yeah. Kansas having dropped from two to sixteen on Ken Palm despite being a thirteen and one with wins over Kentucky, Tennessee, and UConn is hilarious to me. People are getting the full Dewan Harris experience now that there's not the scorers around them. Um, there's obviously no depth to speak of. Jackson hasn't gotten going yet. And then, you know, that's kind of the story of the season. It is crazy, though, that two of the at-one-time consensus All-Americans, Kevin McCullough and Terrence Shannon, used to be the Texas Tech backcourt. It's nuts. I haven't really seen Texas Tech fans be like, wait a second. Like, we had two of the top ten best players in the country. Much like I, I haven't really seen people talk about how. So at least two of the last three Texas coaches, Rick Barnes and Shaka Smart, parachuted out. Or, or, or Barnes got fired, maybe. I don't remember, but. They went to seemingly worse situations and then almost flipped them to be – well, definitely I flipped them to be better than what Texas is right now and what Texas had been. And I would bet Chris Beard does the same given time. How crazy is it that like their last three coaches are all in a better spot than they are? Well, I mean, it's not that crazy when you hire Ronnie Terry. Uh, yeah, I, I mean, we at least I said at the time they should, you know, same same with Wayne Tinkle's Elite Eight appearance, you know, like, well, Ronnie, you, you did a great job. If it was, if, it, was it, it was really nice to have you here. <laughs> I I truly think that Texas winning the national championship last year would not have been enough for me to feel confident that Rodney Terry was the guy moving forward. Like this, in terms of in terms. I guess it was better off that, you know, you didn't get a David Pageant or Josh Eiler where it just, like, all falls apart immediately. Like, there's something to be said that he kept the, the ship going. Um, but that yes. literally has nothing to do with moving forward. It was a better ship. Yeah. Um, it will be interesting. 
I have been told by a source that the buyout here is not very large. And I don't believe that they would fire Ronnie Terry after this year, even if they missed the tournament. But he Hot will seat year two. Yeah, if, if they miss the tournament this year, his seat will be scorching in the preseason. And to be clear, I mean, we are jumping the gun a little bit on missed the tournament. But, I mean, look. They have, they have Cincinnati tomorrow, I think. Cincinnati on the road. That's a huge game. Because if you lose that game, even if you win your next two against West Virginia and UCF, after that, you are staring down a stretch. How about this? January 20th through February 6th. Home Baylor at Oklahoma at BYU. Home Houston at TCU. Home Iowa State. Six straight games against top 30 teams. All but one of those is a top 20 team. Includes the number one team in the country. Good luck. In this game against Cincinnati tomorrow, would you say Wes Miller's in a similar spot to Rondi Terry where, like, if they miss this year, scorching hot seat next year? Repeat that for me. Wes Miller, Cincinnati. They missed the tournament this year. That'll be three straight years to start his tenure. No tournament. Would that put him hot, hot, hot seat for year four? I don't think hot, hot, hot. It would be just turning or bust. If that makes sense. I think there's enough, like, people People seem to like Wes and seem to think that they will be good. So I don't think people would be like, oh, my God, he's got to get fired. But I think that it would become like, well, you have to make the tournament eventually type thing. Makes sense. But people um, love I mean, I mean, Wes has not heard anything really for Cincinnati basically being like John Brennan bad the last two years. And the recruiting has gone incredibly well. Yeah. Um, Tyler Betsy. Trying to think anything else in the Big 12. Baylor BYU is another really interesting game tomorrow, both on streaming only. <sighs> Brutal. But. Uh, Houston, Iowa State's on TV. People are that. I mean, Houston's two two games this week on the road. If they win them, they have a very very real chance to be undefeated into February. What's the second road game? TCU. Yeah, both both winnable. Both teams are you know defensive minded. Going against a superior defensive-minded team. Um, uh, how about Omaha Bilyeu is not playing at all for Iowa State? Oh, yeah, he's completely out of the mix. He was supposed to be one of the most impact freshmen of the whole country. According to who? That was my understanding. I mean, he was the best player on, on, on the U19 team, right? I've never actually thought that Omaha was any good, so maybe my priors were. I know that you thought that. I I do remember that was your feeling, but um, maybe I'm totally making this up. I, I I thought he was supposed to be like such a high motor, athletic impact power forward that was going to step in and you know play really well for day one. Um, TCU obviously got robbed 
I did see the end oh of that game. God. Yeah. Right after the province game. Uh, uh, <laughs> trying to think big i mean it's kind of it for the big 12. can we talk auburn in the sec certainly so auburn's up to five in ken palm i'm a you you know that i've been on the auburn bandwagon for those that don't remember i actually tweeted in the uh tweeted in the preseason the night before the year that i thought that auburn would make the final four that doesn't feel so outlandish at this point I mean, I, I, I've always thought of them as like a top 25 team. Where I think it really jumped for me, I remember in the preseason, Dick Vitale had Janai Broom as a first-team All-American. And I was like, well, that's crazy. Then I was like, Wait a second, that's, that's not crazy at all, actually. It's like pretty reasonable. And I was like, well, they have an elite player at the five with all this length and athleticism surrounding him. They got the shooters. Jalen Williams had a great year last year. Holloway's been good, right? Donaldson's been, you know, it's just been a deep, balanced, athletic team that just ran Arkansas out of the gym. And I think the other thing that's valuable for them is they're just nowhere near as mercurial, right? Like, look, they've to play at Auburn and play for Bruce, you have to have personality, right? You have to be... You have to be willing to get in the trenches. You have to be fiery. You have to be competitive. And I think they have that, right? I think Baker Mazzara is that. Obviously, KD is that. But I think the best Auburn teams under Bruce have had edge without taking themselves out of games. And I think this group has that. I think the groups that, you know, you think about, like, last year's team with Wendell, right? Like, they had guys who lost two games. I don't really think of Auburn having that this year. Like Holloway, I mean, give Holloway credit. He shot the ball pretty poorly. He's under under 40% for the field, uh, shooting under 30% on twos, which, I mean, I know he's small, but that's crazy. But he's taking care of the ball at an elite level. He's making the right decisions. They don't force it. I mean, and Donaldson's been solid, top 40 in the country in assist rate. I mean, they have depth. They have shooting. Um, Denver Jones has been just kind of like an underrated, like eight to ten point per game guy who makes a shot. They just they just seem very like bought into their roles. Like I keep looking for the one guy on their roster who's playing way better than I would have expected, and I don't really know that there is one. They're just balanced and deep. Yeah, in terms of top five, I can't go there yet, but top fifteen top certainly. Five. Yeah, certainly top five. So top ten. I, I, I like top ten-ish. Um, I didn't. I didn't watch the Appalachian State game, but I did watch the Baylor game. Those those are only two losses. Right? I watched the end of the app game, which was just like one of those classic, like nobody can make a shot type of situations. Um, are we worried about Arkansas? I thought that they, you know, getting. Keon Menafield back was going to change everything for them, given his hot start. I did not watch this Auburn beatdown, um, but now Arkansas is in a tough spot. SEC is pretty tough at the top. The bottom's not crazy weak either. Like South Carolina, Georgia, Ole Miss, 
Should, should be feisty at least. Are we worried about Arkansas? I think you have to be. Okay. Right. I think this team is just worse. I mean, they don't. They're 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 substantially worse than they were the last couple of years. Yeah, at I, this point in the year. I like, I I never liked this mix of transfers that he brought in, but even I had them. I think like 40th in the preseason. I acknowledge the late season Musselman bump, certainly. Uh, but he's, he's playing like a million guys early on. You know, Traymond Marcus, their best player, was kind of scary to me. I always thought Brazil was more a prospect than player. And they just haven't gotten consistent play with the bigs or with the guards. So there I, is- just, I think the thing that's probably underrated is that Arkansas has been a really, really good defensive team under Muss. And this team is terrible defensively. They don't disrupt you. They don't force turnovers. Their guards defensively have been rough. I think that makes sense, right? You're playing smaller guards like L. Ellis. You're playing, um, you know, Khalif Battles never really defended anyone in his life, right? Like, you don't have, like, the tools to be a great defensive team, but they have been really bad on that other floor. And if you're I mean, not... in, in, in theory, though, like, if you ran out, at least these these four guys, right? Davis, Mark, Brazil, and Mitchell. That should be a top-notch defensive foursome. I guess who's the fifth one? Um, but still, I I had more offensive worries in the preseason than defense. But but continue. Yeah, they've been bad defensively. Um, I mean, it's just a bad recipe when you're when you're bad defensively and you don't have shooting. So, I, I mean, look, they're another team I hate to keep doing the, like, well, what happens in the next two weeks? But, like, here we go. At Georgia, at Florida, home A&M, home South Carolina. Three of them at minimum, right? Yeah. Might need all four. Great SEC game last weekend, Florida and Kentucky. Those teams are just fun to watch. Yeah, I think, I think Florida's South 25. I know that they Florida, haven't done Florida enough. Vibes wise is very good. Yeah, because you know, I think with Florida, with Creighton, with Miami, with Alabama, you know, a lot of people were like looking for teams to fill out their top twenty-five, and it's like with, with those Florida's mentioned, I, 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 I think the talent's good enough. I think their records will get clean, more clean as they go. Um, and, you know, Florida was just shooting the lights out. Uh, Calipari actually one of the timeout cut-ins to, to the huddle. It's like Florida can't play any better than this. Uh, what was and, crazy about them, quote-unquote, shooting the lights out is that Will Richard shot 0 for 7 from 3. Yeah, it was what? It was Kugel, Aberdeen hit one, uh, Clayton hit a couple. It, you know, the ball, ball was moving. They, they were hitting threes. Uh, the bigs were dunking. It was looking great, and then Kentucky turns it on. Um, but, but I'm still buying Florida as a top 25 team, like I said. I like um, their kind of big man rotation there with Samuel and Condon and Han, Han, Han Logden. Um, and their Samuel guards are impressive. Had an awful game in that game, but he has been great for them. Their guards are impressive. Kugel's hitting shots. Um, and then for, for Kentucky, they're just so, they're so, so fun to watch. They didn't even have Tiara win that game. 
So Bradshaw with some big plays on the stretch. Um, I guess my 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 question to you with Kentucky: Do you think they can win the SEC? I'm still going to go with Tennessee, but I think I, you know, making a top 25, I I, I put Kentucky like fifth or sixth right now, like, like just just a couple spots behind Tennessee. I yeah, think they're I, right. My 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 initial hunch was that Kentucky was the best team in the league, but couldn't win the league because they would be young and inconsistent. But when you win games like that one on the road, where shit gets thrown at you and you're trailing early and you're playing a tournament team, right? How can you not believe that this team can do some really special stuff? I mean, to, to your point with the inconsistencies, though, right? They lose essential to um, Carolina Wilmington. They lose, or, or they they almost lose to St. Joe's. They're they're on, on the ropes. Um, both those games at home, so we could still see some inconsistency there. But agreed. I mean, when when you have Rob Dillingham and Reed Shepard coming off the bench, like talent is not an issue. No question. Um. I wanted to mention something we talked about via text, Brad. Um, I saw a tweet from a bracketologist. I believe it was Kerry Miller. That said that Dayton was like a three seed. And I like felt I was reading it wrong. And I looked at the resume. And I was like, well, I guess their only losses are, you know, Northwestern on the road and Houston on a neutral. Like, I don't really buy that their wins are that good. But the St. John's neutral win is very good. The SMU road win is very good. They're certainly and Cincinnati, Cincinnati too, right? It's great, yeah. Like they have, hey, they have built themselves a sneaky nice resume. I certainly wouldn't call it a three seed. I think that was, you know, over aggressive. But they're they're in don't screw up territory in the for for the A10 to at least have one at large caliber team. Yeah, I mean they they could get to a three seed. You know, if they, if they run through the A10, right. I think a three seed or, you know, s- certainly on on the table. And despite the A10 being better this year, I mean, well, the closest team to them in the metrics is like George Mason, who's like thirty something spots behind them, right? I don't expect them to run through the league, um, particularly if Kobe Elvis is hurt. He left early in that UMass game. Um, Anthony Grant had no updates today in the media availability. That would concern me big time. Because, because they're already, already missing Malachi Smith. Smith. Yeah. Right. So all of a sudden you're just out of guards. And, you know, I, I think they're, good, they're a good team, but they're kind of a delicate balance. They've also shot the ball incredibly well. I mean, they're shooting a ton of threes, and they are 40, you know, shooting 41% for three. And that's Kobe Brea shooting 49%. Last year he shot 37 he, he's a good shooter, though. So is Santos. Santos is 49%. Last year, he was 5 for 32. That was unlimited minutes, though. The, I mean, he, he's a starting power forward, playing next to Dayron Holmes. If know? Nate Santos finishes the year over 45%, I will be very surprised. And there, he's a 44, 49 now. I even turned on that game yesterday against UMass. Early in the game, Zimmy Wokeji makes two threes on, like, two straight possessions. He had made two threes all of last season. 
So I think there's a little bit of unsustainable shooting coming in here. But I do think they're very good. But the A-10 just refuses to not do stupid stuff. Like the Mountain West, the Mountain West and the A-10 are like, one is like the brother that never gets in trouble and like always keeps his nose clean and like gets into the good colleges. And the A-10's like the party animal who like keeps screwing up his chances of a good life. We had St. St. Joe's losing to URI. Although oh URI God. did get David Green, who was you know a, a two-time transfer, was sitting out. Who he is was supposed David to be there. Green? What? David Green was like a five-point-a-game guy at Louisiana Tech, and I keep seeing people trying to asterisk entire URI schedule because of him. He was supposed to be their second-best player. Like that was the whole preseason stuff. It was him and House were the two best players by far. Right, but isn't that a concern about their roster, which has been validated by the fact that they've been terrible? Yeah, they look like shit. Now he's back, and they actually won a game. Um, but that was yes. disastrous. Bonaventure beat VCU, but then VCU devalued its own itself by losing to George Washington. Um, you know, Mason has a bit of a puncher's chance, but... I still think they're probably not at large good. Loyola Chicago off to a two and zero start in the league. And then yeah, you you contrast that with the Mountain West, where everyone just takes care of business at the top. They're, it, these guys are machines. Even like Boise, who is a, a clear six, they got their metrics in a nice spot. Yeah, they're not terrible. They're not in terrible shape. I I don't think they're gonna make the tournament, but they're gonna feed off. You know, they're they're gonna hand out some nice wins to the teams at the top. You think the Mountain West has certainly already begun its marketing campaign for a fifth bid. I believe the official accounts tweeted "Strive for five. But again, all all these teams for the most part play Goldilocks schedules. Where it's like, oh, they beat you know. San Francisco and only lost to Bradley. Like, oh, they, um, New New Mexico. I was just looking at them earlier. I don't remember who was on theirs, but like Nevada beats Washington, right? It's like teams where it's like, oh, I guess that's a good win, but like that team's not that good. But the you question, pile up a bunch of them, and your wins above bubble, I'm sure, is like crazy. The question will be for like the fourth and fifth place teams. Will getting to like eight Mountain West losses just be too much, right? Like the last two years, where the, the last team has gone to the first four, Wyoming won 13 league games, Nevada won 12. There's no chance the fifth team in the league wins 12 league games this year. That's 12 and six, right? Right. At best, I'm thinking 11 and 7, probably 10 and 8. And are we going to, are those teams going to get in? I don't know. I mean, again, this I, is an un, un, unbalanced schedule, too. Correct. Um, and you got to take care of your, you know, there's UNLV isn't that bad. Boise, as we mentioned, has good metrics at this point. And there's what three or four teams at the bottom as well. So, um, right. The problem is, it's like all these teams, like UNLV, like the top five are not going to go undefeated against the bottom five. Someone's going to lose to San Jose. 
Could be San Diego State tomorrow night. How about San Diego State? They were on the ropes against UC San Diego, against Irvine. They who else did they squeak by? There was one other team I thought. Anyway, stuff all matters. Um, trying to think, if there's anything else? You see, uh, they uh, caught Travis Ford's son with a, with a burner account. <laughs> that was incredible. That was that was elite content, and I needed it. I mean, there's been so much heavy stuff. I mean, this Pop Isaac's allegation, you have this Terrence Shannon allegation, you've got all this stuff going on, and just to get like a pure like stupid college basketball story was so good. Yeah, and then we had Juwan Howard doing his thing. We had a Tom Izzo press conference where he's out on analytics. The Izzo analytics rant was so bizarre because I don't really understand where he was getting to analytics. I think he was saying, like, it's possible for a player to just have so much toughness that, like, they wouldn't have any stats, which that's true. That's definitely true. But, like, which one of your players do you think fits that bill? Like, Carson Cooper, you're saying? Well, what I found was so bizarre about the, the rant was, you know, and again, you know, I'm not going to act like he's like, the smartest analytics person, whatever. But, like, he was angry that defensively – that they showed no fight, and like the stat sheet couldn't show that. Well, the stat sheet could show that they gave up 85, 88 points. They gave up like 1.3 points per possession. The, yeah. they're, they're just telling you in a different way what you already knew. If you're such a genius, you know, it was just so strange. But, it, I mean, it's classic Izzo, man. Trying to think if there's anything else. Um, I guess er, a portal got to keep an eye on. I saw a couple of draft Twitter guys tweeting about him. Jason Rivera Torres for Vanderbilt. Yeah. I guess he's really coming along. Uh, he's like a 3 and D wing who like really defends. He's got great size. I think that that Pistons draft talk guy was the first guy I saw tweeting about Jason Rivera Torres was an actor in a... Apple TV series called, I believe, Swagger. Swagger. It's it's based on Kevin Durant's life. It got canceled. I I I've not seen it. It's not my. I watched like five episodes of it, and I kind of like. I think I had COVID while I was watching it. Um, and I was like locked in, and then I stopped having COVID, and I stopped caring. Yeah, it's not really my type of show, like a teen drama sort of thing. But it wasn't bad, but it wasn't all that good either. Um. Yeah, I'm trying to think if there's anything else. Oh, Mikey Williams is in the portal. And J.J. Taylor, who was once a five-star. It's going to be interesting, like, what level these guys are recruited at. Because... Well, Wade. At McNeese? DePaul. So, here's the thing. I don't really think... I don't really think that... People are going to want Mikey Williams for the cost of two scholarships with a past legal issue and this massive social media following and pressure. Like, I'm not convinced there's a high major that will take them. 
I mean, he, he'd already slipped a little bit in the rankings. He can't shoot, right? Yeah, well, the problem is he hasn't really played. Like, yet because he wasn't playing on the circuit. Like, he I, hasn't competed. Yeah, I watched him play once. They played, it was AAU. I was watching Quante Berry. And it was, you know, Quante Berry, BJ Edwards, um, and then the Hamdi Njai guy who transferred from Tennessee. They played against, it was a loaded team. It had Bobby Pettiford, it had Devin Ree. Um, it had, I can't remember. They're, they're like NBA guys on the team. Um and Quante Berry's team beat them, and Mikey Williams looked terrible. Right. Well, it's just hard with these guys that are anointed so early. Yeah. Someone's got to take a shot, right? I mean, maybe he has to clear clear his name in JUCO or something first. But Well, the problem is I just don't know, like, if you have to take him for two scholarships, you're going to potentially have to pay him. By uh, two scholarships, you mean taking JJ T- JJ Taylor too? Correct. And people do not like JJ Taylor. Personally, or basketball wise, or both. I would say definitely basketball wise. Personally, potentially. I guess we'll have to see where that one ends up. You could go to Utah, New Mexico State. You got to this. Is, you got to run it back. Yeah. Honestly, like they'd they'd totally be a Bryant if Grasso was still there. That would be hilarious. <laughs> Can you imagine if Mikey Williams with the Bryant? It's too bad that Grasso got that back injury. <laughs> Oi. Alright, so I think we just have to hit the ACC really quick. Okay. Um, yeah, Louisville guys are dropping like flies. All have played less than ten games, coincidentally, I'm sure. I think North Carolina is legit. We said this last week. They've kind of validated it with the two road wins. I like Carolina and Duke at the top. I still like Miami. And now Wake Forest with Efton Reed backs a revelation. They're surging. I mean, their guards are terrific. Boopy Miller has been great. You know, obviously, Salas has had a good year. I think we all expected that. Hildreth's hyper-efficient. Andrew Carr's like a great glue guy. Rebounds, passes. And then Efton Reed is, you know, plug in the middle. Not super efficient, but a big-time rebounder, shot blocker. They've got a bench, right? Like, just the fact of, like, all right, like, now we can play Zach Keller instead of Matthew Marsh um, in those minutes. You know, that's big. They also, like, I know it's nothing's ever, like, locked in now because of the portal being multiple-time guys potentially able to play. But, like, if Wake has next year, even without Salas, like, even if Salas went to the NBA, if you had, like, Miller, Efton, Hildreth, Fredrickson, and, like, Marcus Marion had, you know, was a big-time recruit, has played some as a freshman, um, you know, even have, like, like, Jawatuka sat is sitting this year with an injury. They like him. Like, they've they've got some momentum here. And this is another team that it's like people mention like NIL concerns. They no like, longer have NIL concerns. I was gonna say like look at this roster. This this is not an NIL concerned roster. 
So they they spent plenty to get Hunter and Efton. At this time last year, there was absolutely concern from Steve Forbes that he was going to need to leave to get to a place where there was NIL because people were kind of hesitant. They have since gotten on board. They have good NIL. If they win, like if, if this team makes the tournament or, you know, God forbid, does does damage in the tournament, I, I think Wake Forest will have elite NIL because there are a lot of rich people who went to Wake Forest. So it, it's kind of an interesting situation where, like, if Forbes has a great year, people will want him at other jobs, but I'm not sure Forbes will leave for other jobs if they have a great year. It's crazy because I saw Trilly said today that, like, Virginia has bad NIL. I don't think Virginia has bad NIL. Tony Bennett just doesn't want to do the doesn't want to play do bidding wars. This this roster is a little more believable that there wasn't a ton of NIL, but I mean, you, you, you had to pay Reese Beekman to come back. They know that he just said that they. That I think I saw Virginia people saying we have good NIL. We're just not promising money to anyone. Like to commit, we're not using it as a recruiting inducement. You say so. That was like the, and I'm using heavy air quotes there. Here, the Providence Insider on the 247 board said that that's how Providence is NIL. Like, yeah, dude, sure. Devin Carter and Bryce Hopkins were like, you know what? Let's 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 come back for a promise of zero dollars. Well, no, that's. But no, as a recruiting inducement. Once the kids are on campus, they can negotiate with them. Like you can use it. They're they're not having issues using it for retention. I think they're saying like, when Jordan Miner's in the portal, they're not outbidding for Jordan Miner, which is why they get Jordan Miner and Jacob Groves instead of like real portal guys. If you say so, <laughs> I'm not that naive. Let's see. What else do we need to know in the uh, ACC? It seems like Georgia Tech has kind of fizzled a little bit. Had a couple of little Notre Dame, like, had NC State dead to rights. They played Duke very well as well. I was at the game. They're not talented, but they don't look so overwhelmed talent-wise anymore. They're, like, controlling tempo, playing really hard. Um, Burton just kind of gets in the lane to make shit happen. Kerry Booth is talented. Like... They have these like bigger wings with Booth and Tay Davis who can just kind of bully their way around. Um, like they're fine. Notre Dame is no longer looks like complete incompetent. Honestly, what Notre Dame looks like now is Ben Johnson year one where they have like two good players um, and they seem well coached. And you're like, yeah, yeah, this Ben Johnson guy seems to be doing a nice job. This this could also be them getting uh, Keba Jivak, who missed a big he chunk has of the year. So, so many of these rosters are like delicately balanced, right? Like that's that's the thing I'm trying to argue with people all the time, like on like the message boards and stuff. Well, they're like, our roster stinks. Like if so and so gets hurt, we're screwed. Like, oh yeah, yes we are. Like this is college basketball. Sienna fans did this last year. They were very mad that, like, Sienna couldn't withstand JV McCollum getting hurt 
where Sienna couldn't withstand um, Jackson Stormo being banged up. They're like, why don't we have better depth? It's like, well, yeah, usually it is hard to replace, like, the guy, like, like yeah, the guy who's now, like, one of the best point guards in the Big 12. Usually that's, like, pretty hard to, like, have a good backup for. Yeah. Probably going to be a pretty substantial drop-off. You can't carry, like, three starting caliber centers. There's just not enough of them to go around. Right. And they would like to play. But you could do what uh, USC is doing and just force feed five different guys, like, ten minutes each. Um, But it will be interesting to see this middle of the league see who can push for bids. I think it's probably like, I think it's NC state. I think it's, I think it's North Carolina, Duke, Wake, Miami, Clemson, and then like maybe one more, but it just feels like it's going to cannibalize itself. Yeah. So you're at five with Virginia on the outside. Is that right? Yeah. Virginia looks awful right now. They're lucky they played Louisville when they did. NC State looked great against Virginia. Uh, not so much against Notre Dame. Yeah, that, was, that was a big-time hold of serve to win that game at Notre Dame. And then I'm not really buying, at least in terms of making the tournament, like Cuse or Pitt. Certainly not Vatek. Um and then the bottom is shaky as usual. But. Has the um, has the Mike Young honeymoon dampened at all? You're such a hater. You hate. I Mike am a Young. hater. Because people gave him so much uh, un- undeserved credit for doing something that every other that almost every other high major coach does, which was have a good mid major team. One. Good mid-major team. Like Steve Forbes did that at East Tennessee. I mean, well, Mike go, Young pops like Orville Redenbacher. Go down the list. I mean, I, I guess a lot of these guys are former assistants. I don't think Virginia Tech is bad. They're like on an IT team again. I think they might be a little lower than that. They're 68 right now. Let's be nice. But, you know, people love this guy because he draws a nice set. And Wofford was good once. He's a very good coach. X and O coach. Correct. Hold on, I'm looking at his contract. So his his extension is through 26-27. So he has three years left on his deal. Yeah. Probably next year would be the hot seat year. Or I guess, you know, this this could be a situation like Wes Miller or Kevin Willard before him or we we like the guy, we'll give him another year and maybe he'll hire some high school coaches of his prospects and make it work. But Yeah, just keep giving guys more chances and all of a sudden they'll finally win one. I mean that's what Chris Collins did. Do they have NIL issues at Vatech? I have no idea. I mean, the roster kind of screams, we need more NIL, but... I'm amused that your new code for... for, for, for you, you, you determine whether a team is NIL based on whether they have good players. 
I mean, is that, is that such a crazy way to do it? No, it's it's not, but it's just very funny. That's that's how I'm treating Baylor. With everyone being like, well, what if Scott Drew wants more more NIL? It's like you have Jacoby Walter and Ray J Dennis in a bidding war, and they were in a bidding war with Jalen Bridges for like Australia and like. Eve's Missy was top. You know, they, they have all these great recruits. Like, there's no way that they're poor down there. You wouldn't think. But then Trilly goes out and says that Georgetown paid $300,000 for Ishmael Masood. Made one of vomit. That has to be, like, one of the worst value propositions of all time. That's, that's, that's what happens when you're in a fantasy draft. They, uh... Auction draft, and you wait too long, and you have too much money at the end. <laughs> so I've got to pay like fifth round value to get the ninth round guys I like. Finish this off. It will be interesting to see how the market develops for this spring in the portal, because I think we're starting to get towards like people aren't going to just spend a gazillion dollars anymore. Oh really? I I thought we were just going up. Prices go up. Um. Prices do go up, but I think people are – collectives are getting smarter. Let's put it that way. See, if, if I were a billionaire, I, I I would be forcing my roster ideas on Kim. What would you – what would be your give, – give us your – give me your 60-second roster plan to tell that you would pitch to Kim if you were a billionaire. Like for for like next year the portal guys I want. Yes. I want like Uguna Kingsley. I guess he's now Uguna Oyenzo. Talking Taylor Bowen earlier. I want TJ Power. So you just want former elite recruits with lots of eligibility. Yeah. I'm back on that now because originally I was when 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 the free transfer market you know. Anyone can transfer whenever. I was like, ooh, maybe it's not a good idea to get all the eligibility guys. And I'm just kind of like, if everyone can transfer, then no one can transfer, really. Right? Like, you, you don't move up in terms of value. You know, like, every, like the, 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 the value is more well distributed, I guess. Like, so like if Taylor Bowen, let's say he transfers, right? And as a sophomore, he averages five points a game. And he wants to transfer again. He can't transfer up. So he stays. As a junior, he averages 10 points a game. There are so many other juniors averaging 10 points a game who can all transfer. Which kind of reduces your risk. That is true. Look, I, I think eligibility plays a role now, but I think there is a certain level of like, hey, come play. Like, here's your role for this year, and we'll figure out the other stuff later on. But everyone's going to approach differently. I think that'll be interesting. I think I think more avenues to build a roster is a good thing. And I and I am still firm, as I was saying all, all off season, like. There is no time to be bad. There are no slow rebuilds. 
there's a there's a difference between going four and fourteen and six and twelve. Like every win counts. It helps your vibes. Help helps keep up appearances, and will help keep guys in in the program. Prevents coaches' children from having to make burner accounts. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, well, I think that wraps us up for today. I appreciate y'all listening. We will see you all next week. We will learn a lot in this week of college basketball. So look forward to the takeaways when we come back in a week. Bye.